This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. Thanks to Olive and June for supporting Made for This. Get salon perfect nails at home. Your new nail life is here. Visit oliveandjune.com slash madeforthis20 to get 20% off your first mani system. So guys, today we are talking to Pastor Matt Canlis, and this is a big deal because he did a documentary that my husband and I watched after the book was written. And if I would have watched it before, I would have put several things from the documentary in. It is an incredible story of his journey as an Anglican priest through parishes that he served throughout Scotland. You're going to love hearing his story, but... I really encourage all of you to do two things. One, to go see the documentary. It's called Godspeed. And it is just, you. it is delightful. You will absolutely love it. It is such a great watch. And then also to get his book. And we're going to talk more about that in just a little bit. But first, Pastor Matt, thank you so much for doing this today. You're very welcome, Jenny. And I just got to make one correction. Otherwise, I'll get in trouble. In Scotland, I wasn't an Anglican priest. I was a Presbyterian priest. So shout out to the Scots who are Presbyterian. Okay, great, great clarification. We don't want to offend any Scotland Presbyterians. That's right. Okay, so it was such a beautiful, beautiful journey. Matt, talk just a minute about why did you do this? You and your wife, you all move over there. You're from the U.S. Talk about that motivation. Sure. I can't take credit for being motivated. I grew up in a household that did lots of Bible studies that made me interested in God and God's word. And then a mentor said, Matt, you and Julie should probably, once you get married, which we had just done, go study a bit. So we took off to Vancouver, Canada and studied for longer than we thought. It was going to be a one-year adventure, but we loved studying. And then a mentor said, If you're thinking about church planting, don't right now. This is an unhealthy time to get caught up in that. Go be a part of an old school church plant in Scotland or somewhere in Europe. And so Julie won a scholarship to go study in St. Andrews. I kind of followed her out there and got a job as a parish assistant, which was a word I didn't know. For me, parish was like repent and perish. John the Baptist, die. But a parish, of course, in Scotland is a piece of land and a church with in the middle of it. And so that's where I began to learn a new way to be a pastor. That was actually a very old way. And it was very different than anything you'd seen modeled for you in the U.S., correct? It was different. Um, I remember the first day, just as a parishioner, a pastor knocked on my door and I didn't know what he was doing there. It happened to be 9-11. And he was visiting all the Americans he knew to see Mm. if there were people we knew who'd been affected. But I actually left him out the door and didn't invite him in until I figured out, oh, he wants to come inside. So the whole face-to-face piece of pastoring was new for me, even though I had good pastors growing up, but nobody ever came to your house. And so you actually followed suit. And as you began to serve in one of these local parishes, you began to be the crazy door knocker, right? But you it wasn't crazy there. This was expected. It was what expected. Happened? They appreciated you on Sunday. But if you weren't there 
Monday to Thursday, visiting homes. I was the school chaplain, going to the pub for a pint, playing soccer or football, as they call it, on the pitch. That's the place where they wanted to engage with their minister. And that was the transparency they expected. So that whatever you said on Sunday had to match with who you were the rest of the week. And this wasn't a short stint. You all were over there for a while. Yes. It turned out to be 13 years. <laughs> it's a lot of your life. And, and so you loved it. Something about this really resonated with you. We did love it. We'd come from Seattle, which was pretty busy. And this different way of life. We didn't own a car for the first two years. So we had to walk everywhere in town. I never realized how bad the weather could be when you don't have a car or where the hills are because you have to walk up, not press on the pedal. There's not garages in that town because the town was pre-car. There's just doors and people walking. So it kind of took us back to the pre-industrial era, at least the pre-car era, in a way of living that most people today still know in many parts of the world, but all of humanity has known since the beginning. So this was my journey. This what, what you're saying right now was the study that I I undertook for a year of my life of just researching how people have always lived and how 80% of the world today lives in small villages. And so I love your perspective because when I saw the documentary, I did feel like, oh, I just I wanted to go to dinner with you and hear all of it because you actually got to live in the midst of something you knew was broken coming from the U.S. You knew that how we do community wasn't working and you didn't like the pace that we were living. How much did our pace have to do with connection when you got out of the busyness? One misnomer about Godspeed is that it's about slowing down. If you just slow down, things will be okay. No, Godspeed is the pace of being known. In Isaiah 40, Sometimes you fly on wings like eagles. Sometimes you run. Sometimes you walk. There are different speeds at which we can still live and move and have our being in Christ. So it's not like I'm just walking slow everywhere, but I'm running and not growing weary. I'm walking and not fainting. And sometimes I fly. So I don't want to say that it's just about slowing down. What I would say is that it's about being in the place that you are. And the gift of Scotland was that it returned me to God's first question in the Bible. Where are you? And I know there's spiritual connotations to that and deeper levels of meaning, but that is first a geographical question. Where are you? And in Scotland, as I began to answer that question, when I was in the church, I was like, I'm in the church. I am a pastor. When I'm at home, I am a dad, a husband. When I'm in the parish, I am a neighbor or evangelist. When I'm in a glebe, glebe is spelled G-L-E-B-E. -E. It's the Scottish term for chunk of earth. And back in the day, ministers didn't get salaries. We got glebes, which was the garden you had to work. So you weren't just a man of God in heaven. You were a man of the earth and therefore of God. So your prayers on Sunday for the weather weren't for your neighbor's potatoes to grow. They were for yours. So in the glebe, you're a gardener or a person who's working out in some way. The geographical allies I discovered in a parish taught me what Psalm 16.6 teaches. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And if I'll respect those boundary lines instead of ignoring them 
or having my phone dictate who I am or what I'm doing, then geography helps personhood. The where helps the who. And I can be who I am where I am. And there's a way the Scots did this. In the middle of the parish is the church and the church tower. And it would ring out every hour on the hour. And we lived close to the church. So at first I was like, midnight, 12 strikes. You get used to it after a while. But what we said was this clock tower isn't keeping time. And before it was a clock tower, it was just a bell tower calling people to worship. It is God saying, where are you? Where are you? So that people could say, here I am, can't sleep. Here I am, changing a diaper. Here I am, plowing a field. Here I am, writing a sermon. So you asked about pace, and pace matters. But I want pace to put us in a place, and for geography to help us be who we are in Christ, in the given places he's given us, with the pleasant boundaries he's given that we usually ignore. Well, one thing, and I had come across that research about parishes, the number of people that would make up a parish, how how the, the leadership would decide, okay, it's time to start a new parish. Talk about that, the boundary lines of a parish and, and what defines a parish. Yeah, so all of Scotland's broken into parishes, the whole place. And there's almost always a village in the middle in some way, depending upon the size of the parish. And back in the day, you could only go to your parish church. There was no such thing as church hopping. And even in my day, 10 years ago there, if somebody showed up at church from a different parish, you were like, what are you doing here? Everybody was rooted to that community and to that church so that there was transparency and accountability and fellowship and joy. And so that you had to work out your stuff with your neighbor instead of running away. You're saying these things just matter of factly, but they're huge things. You're saying you can't run away, that all these people are somewhat stuck together, which is really powerful. Was that hard? Like, what did you notice when that was the case? Oh, yeah. So if I'm speeding in my car and I have the only blue Volkswagen in town and I'm passing homes with kids, that means Matt doesn't care for children. He'll endanger their lives to gain a few minutes. So there's nothing anonymous. Nothing you do is your private life. Everything is public. And at first you feel like you're in a fishbowl and it's a bit scary, but actually with time and the grace of your neighbors who tell you to slow down and you start to obey because you should, it's a good thing. And I think that's how Jesus lived his whole life. And it's why he changed the world, because he earned people's trust the hard way. Right now, you and your wife are back in the United States. You're in Washington at a small Anglican church there ministering. In fact, you're you're pastoring, I think you said, about 200 people there. And I'd like to just talk a little bit, even coming on this podcast, you were hesitant. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. I'd love for you to share why. Oh, that's a good question. The reason I was hesitant is because if I'm not living at God's speed at home or in my church or in my neighborhood, then I've got a bunch of nice things to say, but it's not being practiced where I live. And so I'm always cautious to preach something that I don't live up to. God's speed was a confession. That film was a confession about the ways I and we fail to live. So if I'm going to do something, I got to start as the one confessing. 
The second reason is my mentor said, avoid anything that can build fame or a reputation because it'll tempt you to live in that world rather than in the fellowship of the unimpressed. That was Eugene's phrase for the people in your life who know you. Eugene Peterson was personally a friend and a mentor. Is that correct? Yes. And he was the one that said that, which is interesting because we all know his name. Yes. But it's only because eventually you got him on podcasts and things (laughs) almost against his will. But Eugene told me he wanted to make sure what he practiced at home. That's right. Saying louder than anything he ever said publicly. And that was true. Those who knew Eugene and Jan and their kids can bear witness to that truth. So your hesitancy, you didn't want to do this because it pulls you away. Correct. So I did commit to not doing many things outside the parish. I do a few a year, but it's a constant tension. But the reason this is so big and helpful for people is this is a choice for you. Like you are choosing to live small in the United States right now. You have books and and things that you've poured your heart into, but you're not looking for every opportunity to promote. You're sitting there going, I've done something that matters and I've written about it but God's going to have to get it out there because there's a sense of just, I'm going to do life right here in my place because this is what matters most. And you mean that and you're living that. Yes. And I can't take credit for that choice, like some countercultural thing. I'm choosing this because it's better. I'm choosing this because it's life in Christ. I'm choosing this because I want to know JD and Christy. I'm pointing out the window because they're right out my window. It's not like a cool strategy. This is what I think should be the norm. And I want to do things and make choices that make this more normative. Well, I know that's just normal to you, but I'm crying at what you're saying because I just think everyone doing this, everyone I know that lives in their corner of the earth, that takes care of their people, let's say the stay-at-home mom that has three or four kids and they take care of their neighbors and they maybe work a little and they are kind to their coworkers. There's something about that that feels small to people. We live in a culture that has so elevated being known and doing something important and doing something big and doing it in front of everyone that those small things, even though we say they're most important, people don't actually believe it. And so to hear you say, no, 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 I, I, this isn't noble. Like I just, this is what I think is most important. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And it's brought you joy, even though it's messy and hard. It's harder, right? It's harder. Yes, it is harder, but it's also easier. I was across the street recently with Christy talking about how to do some things. I mean, it is harder if we get in a fight, but it's easier because we're face to face. It's easier because you can see hand motions. And I only got a cell phone when I turned 40, when we moved to America. And I asked my congregation, do you want me to get one of these things? Or do you want me to be present to you? And they were torn because they liked that I was always present where I am. But they said, please buy one because you've got to learn to live with it like we are and redeem this thing to make it a tool again, not a master. So I don't want to diss technology. I don't want to diss anything that people are doing to reach people, especially with the gospel. But I do want to keep asking us, what are the most organic ways to be in Christ with those we love and our neighbors, because that's how Jesus did it. Not just because he's in the first century. It's because 
Jesus is revealing who God is. And this is who God is and the speed at which God moves. My whole desire for this project was that people would come back to friends within five miles, that they would build a little village where they are, because I think this is not very American. Why do you think that is? What happened to us? How did we lose this? Well, it's our strength and our weakness. I mean, those who immigrated from Europe landed on the East Coast. They were pioneers. They were often running from something, either a bad family system or sometimes poverty or sometimes persecution. And I think Americans have always been on the run ever since. That's why we kept moving across, taking advantage of Native Americans, and finally reaching Seattle, which is the most independent place you'll ever visit. Our whole reaction against what we once knew has made us trample others and lose ourselves. So that's just a part of our story. When I say it's a strength, it does make us pioneering, creative, but it also makes us sometimes bullies sometimes pushy. And so that's something we need to reckon with as a nation. I mean, I want to go back home and everybody's sitting here still reeling from the fact that Eugene Peterson was your friend and and mentor. I'd like to hear how you saw him struggle with this because I know it shaped you in the choices that you're making. Yes. Well, when I first met Eugene, I was actually embarrassed to meet him. The message had just come out and I was sitting in class trying to think of a good question to ask that would impress him and the class for that matter. It took about three classes and I finally got something brilliant, raised my hand as casually as I could to look like I didn't care. And he not just pointed at me, he said, yes, Matt, how did Eugene know my name? Wow. One of 50 people we had never met. Turns out he had bumped into my wife, Julie, about a week earlier, learned Julie's name, learned her husband's name. I was holding Julie's hand in class because we were newly married. He put two and two together. And that's because every day before class, Eugene would leave 20 minutes early so that if he bumped into somebody, he would learn their name, hear their story, even remember their spouse's name if they ever met. Wow. That was the world Eugene grew up in and cultivated everywhere he went. And once Regent got to the place where it was too hard to know everybody's name and their stories. And as Eugene said, he was starting to enjoy the fame more than he thought. He had to return to his roots and be small again. And so that was a constant tension in his and Jan's life. Olive and June sent us their amazing nanny system and they have a deal for you. Visit oliveandjune.com slash this 20 to get 20% off your first Manny system. Okay, guys, so I did something last week that I had to share with you because I tried Olive and June's new press-on nails, and I loved them so much that I was like, Olive and June friends, we need this 20% discount to apply to this Manny system because I need all of y'all to try them right now. Their new press-on system creates a salon look in minutes that's better than gel. So they last 10 plus days and come with the most sizes ever. So you can find your best fit and no one will know that they're fake. And the other best thing about Olive and June's systems is that they're affordable. So if you're getting the Olive and June Manny system that comes with six polishes, it breaks down to just $2 a manicure. I used to spend like $35 for one manicure. But now they are coming out with new colors, new press-on styles all the time, and you can do it on your time. So while you're watching your show at night or 
when you're just sitting at your desk and you want to do something to spruce up your fingernails real quick. We love Olive and June, and we know you guys will too. The new press-on system, you can pick your favorite length and shape, and you can achieve the perfect fit because every pack has 21 different sizes, and so you can use them for more than one manicure, and you can get a perfect fit for each finger. Visit oliveandjune.com slash madeforthis20 for 20% off your first Manny system. Get 20% off any Manny system, even press-ons. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D. J-U-N-E dot com slash made for this two zero for 20% off your first Manny system. The way you live here gives me hope that this is possible yet. It is a discipline. And I, I know you keep saying this is normal. This is what we want, but how did you create it? You still had to choose it, right? Even if, if this is something you desire, you still have to create it. Well, you don't have to create it. There's only one creator and he has made all things well. And the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You just have to be found by the creator where you are. And to get back to the, where are you question, God made the world and made it good. Now we have messed it up, but his question still rings out. And to anybody who can say, here I am, or as a community, here we are. We will discover the pleasant boundaries in the parishes we have, pleasant and challenging. So I don't want to create something. I want to live in God's good creation in Christ with my neighbors, some of whom I like, some of whom I don't. It's already right here. Mm. Eugene said the antidote is near the poison in nature. The antidote is near the poison. You don't have to go to greener grass. That's right. He found where you already are. Well, so you all came back to your roots in America and left what was, I would think, an idyllic, you know, way to live over there that that fit your values. And you come back and yet it's it was the same for you, right? Like this is it was the same disciplines, it was the same practices. What did that look like? It's different here. Back in Scotland, people wanted me to knock on their door. I was their minister. And when actually there's 50 churches. And people go different places, and I'm a stranger, and there's no trespassing signs. So instead, I try and shop at Plaza Superjet down the street. I play ball at the YMCA, also on Okanagan Street. Chelsea cuts my hair. I go to her faithfully. She's both a good hair cutter and somebody I want to build a relationship with. So I try and live as locally as possible. Yes, I sometimes go to the big store to buy some stuff, but I try to resist I've never purchased anything from Amazon and will not buy anything online. And I'm not the only one trying to live this way as the minister knocking on doors. We, as the body of Christ, are getting to know just our neighbors well and maybe one grocery store clerk. And more importantly, if you're married, your spouse or your kids, know the people close to you. That's where Godspeed begins. Don't make this the new mission. This is an internal transformation first. You just said you've never bought something on Amazon and the whole listening community is gasping. They can't imagine, but I could not agree with you more. This is how we do it. It's to actually know the people that are around us. There are people that God has placed in front of us that we are missing because we're scrolling, because we're not dependent on each other, because we don't borrow things. Uh, It's just basic things, human things that have happened throughout all time. And like you said, it happened mostly around the world, but but for some reason we 
resist that. Why do you think it's so countercultural here to live this way? Oh, because we've become a part of the culture and we forgot about Jesus. Jesus, for 30 years, lived in anonymity. 30 years, ordinary life, ordinary job, leaned over the fence, talking to his neighbors. 30 years to leverage three years of powerful impact. And Jesus had an impact. But we often do that backwards. I want to recover the way Jesus lived now. And it's possible. Even once Jesus began to have a bigger impact after his baptism, he still walked everywhere. He still kept Sabbath. He still, every night when the sun set and there's no electricity, gathered around the fire, sang psalms, told stories. His relational life was so alive that it drew the world to discover who this was, and it happened to be God. That's who we are meant to be in Christ. And that's who the Holy Spirit's inviting us to meet. And I just want to be a part of that. That's what I think the Trinity is up to right now. And this makes me so excited because it's, I mean, even just the fires, like that's a whole chapter in my book of you need a fire pit. You need a place to gather with people. When I watched the the movie, it was like, you were like my real life example of somebody that lived this way. And it brought you so much joy that this wasn't something hard for you. This wasn't something that you felt like, oh, I should do this. This has been a gift to you to live this way. It has been a gift, but I learned it. Remember, I showed up as ignorant as anybody and going too fast. And I still struggle constantly with this. I have not arrived. Again, God speeds a confession. But if you find people in your life who are good at ordinary, good at fires, good at not being too driven, those are the people who can save us from ourselves. And that's why we've got to be local and not be projecting one thing in public that isn't true at home. Mm, It's so good. I'm discipling several young girls right now that are wrestling with this and they do have influence to a lot of people. And I'm saying things like, you need to be a member of a local church. You need to have a small group. You need to all these things and they're all up for it, but they also are going, why, what, why does that change everything? Because to them, I would say in our culture, influence is the commodity. It's the thing that people value. It's the thing that they think makes a difference in the world. Why would you argue against that? A number of reasons. One, I've had a lot of friends have the influence they were tempted to make destroy them. Yes. And that's destroyed a lot of people. Number two, I don't think the word influence appears in the Bible, nor impact. I'm not saying I don't want the kingdom advancing, but those are commercialized words that are now used as commodities to try and make things happen. I think it's the devil's coinage. Wow. I mean, you guys, this is so good. This is so needed in the world. I I mean, you have to go into that further because everyone's going, yes, it is. Res- everything you're saying is resonating with me. And I, I don't want to quit what I do on a large scale because I still feel called to it. But I love what you're saying of the value and where my time goes, where my thoughts go, where my energy goes. That's what I'm talking about. My, all of my energy, my husband and I, our dreams that we're dreaming, they're for the people we know in real life. (laughs) Like those are, and it's not that I won't still do the other things, but that's not going to capture my full attention and heart. And yet that's partly because I've tasted it 
and I, I realize it's empty and I'm trusting the Lord that in doing these things like this podcast today, it's encouraging and helping people live in their small, <laughs> like to me, all the big should only be used to help people live in their small, in their small places, in their small ways to obey God in the place that he's given him. So I'm not going to write it off yet, but I have been tempted to. Because I agree with you so much. Don't write it off. I'm not calling people to live the same way I'm living. I'm asking everybody, how's the balance? How's the ratio? What do our spouses think? What do our children think? What does the local community think? That's the fellowship of the unimpressed that just keeps us healthy. (laughs) I, I need those people. Otherwise, I don't trust myself because I am tempted to have an impact. There's a longer story there. I don't trust myself with those things, but I trust myself with these people. Yes. They ground me. The fellowship of the unimpressed. I told Matt offline, I have a very large fellowship of the unimpressed with me. (laughs) There's a lot of them, but it's such a gift because it does, it grounds you. I mean, people ask all the time, how do you not get an ego? I'm like, easy. I've got kids. Like they are not impressed with me ever, ever. Okay. Let's talk about, the way that you think people can live this way, because I do think that there are, there's small practices like you talk about in your book that happen in their backyard, that we don't have to move to Scotland for many people listening. They live in the midst of a a Metroplex perhaps, or, or a big city. What would you say to them about wanting this slower way, wanting to live at God's speed, wanting to notice their parish or their village around them, but it feels so different from the way they live right now. Yeah. Start with God's first question. Where are you? Find your glebe, find your church, find your parish, you know, your home and be who's God's calling you to be in those places. Again, don't look elsewhere. The antidote's near the poison. Second thing is don't do this alone. During COVID, our church was closed for a while, but our Sunday school teachers volunteered to turn our Sunday school into public school education for kids online who came in and filled the church who would never be inside. We moved all of our small groups into backyards. So there were 16 backyard churches Mm. that through a method called cinema divina, which is making God's word into a film. They had tons of fun dramatizing John's gospel. So the neighbors are going, what are you guys doing over there? Why is it so much fun? How can that be Bible study? Those people are not coming back to church to discover what church is like. So there's always something creative the creator is doing in the midst of chaos. That's how Genesis begins. It's what Christ shows us even his death. And it's what Revelation actually anticipates that things are already happening. So look for the creative thing already happening in your backyard and do that with a few people. Well, it's small and it's, it's easy. It's not easy. It's simple. Everybody's going to want this book. Tell us how they can get it. Sure. Well, you can't buy it online. You have to go to our <laughs> little website, use Amazon. <laughs> um, which is uh, livegodspeed.org. And it's called Backyard Pilgrim. And it's meant to be the sequel to the film. People said, Made it, make a sequel to the film. I said, no, the sequel needs to be what you discover in your own backyard. So it's 15 minutes a day walking in your neighborhood, looking at one verse from Genesis all the way to John's gospel, following God's question, where are you? And you'll notice across the Old Testament, 
Abraham, Jacob, all these people say, here I am, here I am, and let themselves be found. So I want the Godspeed sequel to be what happens in your backyard. So livegodspeed.org. That is where you can go watch the film and also find the book Backyard Pilgrim. Thank you, Pastor Matt. This has been so helpful. I think to have someone, we've had a lot of people from different um, cultures and countries speak to us, but to have somebody from America that is living this way and has chosen it, it is so powerful. Thank you for being part of this. Thank you, Jenny. So ready? On your phone right now. Open up your text messages and send the word podcast to the number 214-225-6267. You will be in our, what we call the texties. It's our text message best friends that we text and Jenny will send stuff, send videos, send pictures, like exclusive stuff just for you guys. Text the word podcast to 214-225-6267.